Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. it's Tracy here. We're taking a break from recording the podcast over the next few weeks, so we thought we'd share with you our favourite and most popular guest episodes from 2022. This episode is with Daniel Flynn from Thank You, and it's called How Thank You Use Their Mission to Fuel Innovation and the Future of Funding. On this episode, we speak with Dan all about how Thank You use their mission to get other people on board with what they're out to achieve and why it's important to tell the true story behind every organisation and its cause. Dan shared the importance of creating a safe environment, removing the pressure and giving people some time and space to be able to make an impact. We also talked about celebrating success, sharing failures and some of the lessons gained and we also talked about launching new and creative ideas. We ended the conversation talking all about Daniel's ideas for the future of funding, where funders become more outcomes focused. We hope you're having a great Christmas and New Year break, and we're looking forward to chatting with you in the new year when we're back on board. Enjoy this episode. Hey, welcome back to the Innovate for Impact podcast. As usual, you're joined by Tracy Newman and Dan Bentley, and we're super excited to be joined today by Daniel Flynn, the co-founder and managing director of Thank You. So... Daniel, thank you for being here with us. What we're going to talk about today is how thank you are using your mission to fuel innovation and also we want to talk a little bit about the future of funding. As usual, we'd like to start off with our standard question. Um, Can you just sort of tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do, Daniel? Awesome. Well, my name is Daniel Flynn. I am proud dad of two children, Jed, our son and Jordan, our daughter who is 16 months old, and we are dreaming of sleeping again one day. Husband <laughs> to my wife, Justine, she is also co-founder at Thank You. So in my, my day job, I'm one of the co-founders and managing director of Thank You. Um, we're a social enterprise that sells consumer product, known a lot for our hand wash and body wash and we exist all for the end of extreme poverty. So to date, from products sold, we've raised $17 million to help fund the future of innovation in the nonprofit space, helping end extreme poverty. And so we've got partners all around the world we fund. They do the amazing work. We get to raise the money. And I feel like my title is is interesting, managing director. So some days I'm like, cool, so my job must be managing the direction. Other days I feel like the title should just be like firefighter. Chief firefighter, you know, like there's a problem, <laughs> let's figure it out. But it's it's been an awesome journey and look forward to chatting about it. You sort of alluded to a few things that we really want to talk about, but I love the analogy of being firefighter because when we talk about innovation and being innovative, I think a lot of that is just basically creative problem solving. And you've got that really strong mission of wanting to end extreme poverty. And so therefore that facilitates you being innovative because you have to fight those fires to be able to actually achieve what you're really out to do. So I'm interested in how you've managed to share what you're out to achieve internally so that the people that you work with are really excited about achieving it, but also externally and and how you manage to sort of galvanise other people around what you're out to achieve. I mean, it sort of comes down to storytelling. We're telling a story both internally and externally. It is the same story. And it's this idea that 
We live in one world which has two extremes. Extreme poverty, right now there are 736 million people living it, and then extreme consumerism. We spend $63 trillion a year on stuff as consumers. And so we think thank you could be like a bridge between those two extremes, and the bridge is product. And so we're on this mission to create remarkable product that you and I would love because, well, hopefully it's the best product out there. But then also, it exists for the sole purpose of righting a wrong and sort of bringing light into this darkness that is extreme poverty. For those who are not sure where that definition of extreme poverty comes from, it's people living on less than $1.90 a day. And if that's you, you are struggling to find your next meal, lack of access to clean water, education, really basic human rights. So the story is, is really how do we do that? How do we create product? And then... We tell that internally and then externally, we've told that story for a long time. Uh, And interestingly, I probably thought the story went, hey, everyone, here's the product, here's the mission, and now here's the success and here's all the money raised. But it turned out that's not the story. The story became, here's the vision and the mission, but against the system and the status quo and the way the industry works and the competition, this thing is basically impossible to pull off. But with your help, maybe we could do it. And we often pose this question publicly, what if it what if it works? And so our history is littered with these campaigns, which bring to our supporters that continue to grow, which is incredibly humbling. But we bring a problem to them. And when we bring that problem, there's a clear call to action. People do it and then it works or we learn something and it gets us to the next idea. And I think people have come on that journey and it started real small and it's growing. And now people are like, I'm in. Thank you needs me. And we do. That's a little bit of how we do what we do. I love that because it's not only something that's captivating me, but there's a call to action as well as to me that I can do something about that. And I think that's what's really cool about that. Yeah, you sort of made it bite-sized. So, you know, what you're taking on is massive. And the call to action is achievable and small, which is really impressive up against something that's the size that you're talking about. You know, when you, when you were sharing those numbers before, it's really hard to get your brain around the idea that there I was at 795 million people living in extreme poverty. I couldn't even do the trillion stuff like that. That just, <laughs> that, that I can't conceive what a number that size actually is, let alone you know, really be able to picture it. So it's certainly a massive, massive challenge that you're talking about, but really we can all be involved in a small and accessible way. And this is, I think, what has galvanised team internally and then people externally because instead of just going the world is really broken, which I think we all know, we're also pointing out that, hey, the world's got some kind of low-hanging fruit solutions. Like, that 63 trillion, I didn't even know what a trillion was compared to a million. Someone told me that if, if they gave me a dollar for every second, I'd have a million dollars in eight days. I'd have a billion dollars in 31 days. But get this, I'd have a trillion dollars in 31,000 years. Now, that's the point that my mind blows because I'm like, oh, so, okay, a trillion is bigger than a million So it's like, hey, everyone, we're already spending the money. And by we, I don't mean like the 1% top philanthropy. Like, I mean, all of us, the the everyday, every citizen on the planet. And so this is the idea. And look, our campaigns and, and just a quick example of this storytelling at work 
five years into the journey, we brought a, a small story to our community. We said for five years, we've tried to get our products into Coles and Woolworths. They have said no for five years, but that's okay because two weeks from today, we've booked a meeting with both of them and we are asking you to jump onto their Facebook wall and say, Coles and Woolies, if you stock the thank you products, I'd buy it. And so it was like a, it was a call to action. And so two weeks out from the meeting, thank you supporters start hitting them up every few seconds. People start singing, dancing, rapping, uploading their posts. And then my favorite part was we, well, we had these two helicopter pilots, Peter and Jeff, and they flew helicopters for free over Melbourne and Sydney, then around the head offices of Coles and Woolworths with these giant signs that said, Dear Coles and Dear Woolies, thank you for changing the world. In brackets if you say yes. Now, this day was wild. Both pilots flew for free. This is a people movement. But together, we got their attention. A month later, product was on shelf and the rest is history. We wanted to become the number one hand wash on shelf for years, raise the money. But the problem isn't just the state of the world. It's how hard it is to grow. Thank you. But it turns out with We The People, people power is kind of what changes things. And that's the, I think that's the miss for a lot of us. We think it's the few at the top that hold all the, the chips or the power. But I wonder if we all wake up sort of down below and realize the collective power we have. And that's that's thank you. A lot of the, our listeners are senior leaders of not-for-profit organizations, social enterprise, et cetera. And like everybody that works in this space has a good story, but how did you develop it to a point where you're able to really get these people to to take this action for you? Because I think there's there's an element of craftsmanship in that in itself. How did, What was that journey to be able to get it to the crisp message and that story that you've got today? Was it something that you were able to get from the start or was some kind of trials and iteration along the way? This is a good question. This is sort of kind of deep into the machine of thank you. Like how, how do we do what we do? And I, if I'm honest, I think we're all still trying to figure it out, but we have some conclusions. And one of them is that if you look closely at our campaigns and there are many, and over the years they build. And when you tell the outcome kind of in a podcast, we're like, oh my, wow, wow, wow. But there's about a two year gap in between each one, sometimes three. And in those two or three years, we are thinking deeply. We are wrestling. If you ever see me read a script out, there may have been a hundred rights of that and rewrites of that and arguments over not that bid and add that bid. And we wrestle and wrestle. But at the core, we're here to tell the true story, the real narrative. We think true story is the most powerful story. And Sometimes they take a while to build. There has been so many moments we've all just wanted to pull the helicopters back out. But helicopters in a video isn't the solution. They're kind of tactics that come to life. But really to get there is a really long journey of what is the real true problem we're trying to solve. And in that case, after five years, the problem really was ultimately retailers in this country buying into a groundswell. You either have it or you don't. And because we didn't have the money to just spend, and we tried every traditional pitch, every which way. We even had good sales data of one of our products, Water, the early product in Sam 11. But even that sales data wasn't enough to get them on board. And so that led us to this crazy idea to put the cart before the horse. And so I think we're willing to do that at Thank You. We like to zoom out and think about, imagine if you could solve the really big, scary problem. And what would that look like? And yeah. So it sounds like you've done a fair bit of testing in the market. It seems like you've you've gone out there and tried different approaches until you found stuff that sticks. Is that kind of 
Yeah. And I think in a campaign build or an idea build, we will shop that around a lot internally, mentors. It's always scary when you put a new idea out there. But then that's sort of the beauty of a good idea is that it might not. And it's the risk that I think we all buy into to a level. And it takes time. We think about this stuff. We're not trying to pump these out every three months. That'd be cool. But it really, it takes time to think about that next big step. But in the meantime, we're not just hands idle. We're doing those little things, the knocking on door day after day, pitch after pitch, you know, small activity after small activity. Some people are like, man, how did you build the social kind of following? Like there's a lot of people and they seem to like really be active when you ask them to. And one of the answers to that is room by room, school by school, podcast by podcast. And if you tracked back the number of events we went and spoke at or things I turned up at and shared the story. And by the end of the night, three new followers or 30 or a hundred, but deeply engaged and actually quite bought into the story. And so there was a lot of that in the background that's sort of unseen and then something drops and then it takes off. And I think the answer is actually in, in small numbers. And in I think the, the big miss for many of us is we chase big outcomes, but we forget the bigness of small and the power of small groups of people. Uh, that great quote many of us will have heard that small groups of determined and like-minded people can change the course of history. I think we double down on small at thank you. And then sometimes the results end up being quite big in the market. Mm. I like that. I do. It's that sort of deep engagement. But I also love how you are willing to fail and that, you know, you've described a few things that haven't worked the way that you wanted them to. And earlier, you know, you talked about, you know, it's going to be a success or we're going to learn something. It wasn't, you know, it's going to be a success or it's going to be a failure. And I love your attitude towards failure because I think that's what allows you to be innovative. You can't be innovative if there's no space for it not to go well. That is a real challenge. Even we found that, thank you, once we hit a certain level of scale, you know, you read books and you see these case studies on businesses that lost the innovation and that, that innovative entrepreneurial spirit. I was surprised because at Thank You, we stumbled our way to that point too. And it was in part, we got more systems, more processes, more people, more money, more risk, more. And so then you start to kind of manage by risk and risk management is critical for every single organization. We think a lot about it at Thank You more than it may appear. However, failure is that garden bed that innovation and success grows from. And those failures are the stepping stones. They are the ingredients and you need not one failure. You probably need multiple failures to sort of bring together and figure out the way forward. This is the mark of every successful entrepreneurial organization, leader. But then when it comes to our story, will we take 10,000 failed attempts? Or would we give up at like attempt three or 1,032 because we're like, we fail, we're no good. And this is the thing, like it's a hard, I think innovation, it's a hard journey. It's a long journey. It's actually a long game. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. 
how do you in your organization sort of allow people whilst you are growing and you are having people that have been there longer and even your culture can become a status quo right how do you foster that innovation sort of culture in the organization I think if we look back over the history of Thank You and our culture, we really believe that our culture has allowed all of what you see today. It comes from that internal culture. Our co-founder, Justine, often references culture and this analogy of yogurt. So in yogurt, you have this sort of bacteria, which is culture. And if it goes off, I mean, it's bad news, right? And so you actually have to maintain that culture. You have to keep it the right temperature. You have to protect it. And I look back at the history of Thank You, I think, oh, at times... We said it, but then no one aimed it to go off, but it did. And then we lost that and then we we got it back. I mean, we talk about pressure off. I find myself saying it a fair bit, hey, pressure off. Now, you'll be careful because you don't want like laziness or apathy to kind of creep in. But sometimes, and certainly the people we attract, they all want to do this to the best of our ability. We all want this to get to where we believe it should go. And so probably we have people overworking, not underworking. We have people like striving to do their life's best work every day, not their worst work. And so, hey, pressure off actually becomes just a way in a bit of language around how we we have to take the pressure off because innovation, some pressure is good, some's destructive. And so it's finding that balance. Uh, For a highly driven team, it might be about, hey, guys, we need to take the pressure off, zoom out. Let's think deeply about this. Let's take time. Let's push the launch out. No, you can't do that. Or can you? What if we push the date out? But we did that last time and everyone thinks that we always do it. Okay, true. But like to get to the ultimate outcome, is it worth it? And and so these are the things we wrestle with and we don't always get it right. But we try and have a a culture that, that breeds this, a culture that says it's okay to fail. That is a hard one to maintain, but it's certainly one we try and lead from the top. That's excellent. And I think that's kind of a good segue because part of what we also wanted to talk about was, I guess, the realisation that that you've had recently around how, as a funder, that you're not always contributing in the way that you want to, to the change that you want to, you know, create in the world. (laughs) And that some of that actually does relate to that creating an environment of safety and and pressure off and, and allowing people some time and space to create meaningful impact and kind of just trusting them to do that. So do you want to just sort of talk us through a little bit more about how that has all come about? At a high level, what is lacking in the nonprofit social enterprise space, and particularly more traditional nonprofit, is innovation. When we look at business, there are so many examples of global scale, huge scale, million, billion, trillion dollar organizations. We've got the innovation that's coming out in the medical sphere. We've got that innovation as well. In nonprofit, it's sort of few and far between. Why is that the case? And there are uh, different answers to it, but then there's also incredible failure rates. Like in sub-Saharan Africa right now, 40% of borehole wells are broken. Great initiatives like the clothing drops through the 90s ended up collapsing local markets and local industries because once you dump free product in a market, it wrecks any chance the textiles industry has. And that, that was a study that came out of Africa. And so we started to look at these issues and think, gosh, This space is difficult. And then we read a study and we couldn't unsee what we saw. It said that 42% of issues that charities and nonprofits face, so 46% of issues come from the donor. Uh, 4% come from theft. Uh, I think it was another 4% came from corruption. And I'm like, no, no, but isn't corruption some of the issues? And then we looked at this 46, we dived into it. We're like, oh, wow. 
in this unpacks this bigger idea that we would term donor dysfunction. And it's an imbalance that can happen because sometimes money and often money is power. Imagine if you needed heart surgery and then I said, I'll pay for it. Then after paying for it, I, I tell the heart surgeon, here's how I want you to do it. I mean, that's the strangest thing we've all ever heard, but this is how often we approach charity and certainly big business and big philanthropists approach giving. And here's the other analogy that I think gives us some color. If you invest in shares, I don't know, pick a company, Tesla, just because they're in the news a bit lately. Let's go Tesla, right? You, you buy shares. You can't call up Tesla and be like, all right, please pass on to Elon. I don't want my money to go to marketing or I only want my money to go to ideas that work, you know, or that is just, it's crazy. And so what is the answer? Well, it is actually quite nuanced and it's quite difficult. This is a really big topic, but it's a going back to trust. I trust the surgeon. I trust the company. I believe in the, you know, Tesla's vision and mission and leadership team. And I'll, I'll buy into that and I'll back it and I'll let them make the calls and I'll let them learn and fail and grow from there. Now, this does mean charities have to be ready. Nonprofits have to be ready. But uh, unrestricted funding is what we do now. Thank you. And unrestricted funding, I suppose, is something we're joining. Many, many people do it already. And, and it's incredible. But it's where the limits are off. But accountability is still on. Because at the end of the day, it does. It comes down to how many successful heart surgeries you do. Or it comes down to that growth at Tesla and you know how many more cars or innovative ideas that can be pumped out. So this is about innovation. This is about good, sustainable development. But turns out the donor has a pretty big role to play in that. Wow. Is that really just in simply put, just being about focusing on outputs rather than the inputs? You know, like we're not, we're not going to tell you as thank you or any other funding organization how you should do it, but we are going to look at your, the performance of what you do. And that, that allows them to be creative in that gap. Yeah, and the way that we would approach it is when, when we find an organization, usually it comes through referral or research, we ask them what, what is their goals? How do they measure success? What's their plan to get there? And if we really believe in it, we back it. And then that team have a journey to go on and hopefully they hit that success. And if they do, that's a win. If they don't, the next question is, well, what happened? And what was learned from it? And is that building kind of the next success or actually is this just poor management and ultimately not a good thing to be backing and so that's sort of how it practically plays out i can see an alignment between the culture that you're trying to create within thank you which is all about you know pressure off we want to achieve great things and we want to work to do them you know we're not going to do that through a lot of pressure we're still going to carefully manage risk, but we're going to be creative. And you've really then said, okay, well, that's how we choose to work. It makes sense. Let's partner with other organizations and allow them to work in the same way. Yeah, there is pressure in the right way. And I think it's, it's the focus on the right outcomes. Here's an example, right? At Thank You, we developed this really cool thing called Track Your Impact. Every single product we sold had a unique tracker code linked to the exact GPS coordinates of a well or a filter or a project that you funded. And we mapped out and tracked every single thing we'd ever funded. So from an impact partner perspective, that's a lot of pressure. They have to give us like every single detail, photos, like it's all, it's incredible. That's a lot of pressure. 
Now, we took that pressure off because that's the wrong pressure. That's a focus on input. That's a focus on activity. But the pressure is off in that department, but it is absolutely on on real true output and impact, which is, let's say it's in the water and sanitation space, if you're working in that community, and the goal is to reduce waterborne disease and death rates, or if it's in maternal and infant health, and it's about um, reducing the number of women and children dying in childbirth or, or close to childbirth, that's the outcome. Is that reducing? And is your is your intervention helping reduce that or not? And so, I mean, there's, there's pressure on even at thank you, but it's in the right places. And I think one of the things we have to do for all nonprofits, we have to do this for the social enterprise sectors, we have to celebrate failure. I mean, if Jeff Bezos can get up there and say, I kind of, yeah, the phone thing didn't work out. We lost, I think it was a hundred million or something. Yeah. But we learned and we're going to kind of take those learnings and that's celebrated in that kind of for-profit hyper growth space. You go to a nonprofit, imagine CEO of a nonprofit standing up saying, oh, so yeah, we put a hundred million into this idea, kind of failed, but we're going to learn and we're going to make a real difference in the future, right? Everyone be like, you know, cancel them, cancel that person. That is wrong because out of out of those failures comes that innovation. And again, this is a big topic. It is super nuanced. It's You could grab one line from this and kind of miss the point, but it is a rethinking of giving. It's a rethinking of creating environments, particularly nonprofit for innovation and for ultimately solving some of our world's greatest issues that need solving now. Yeah, relationships and trust and all of those things are always nuanced, aren't they? You know, it would be so easy if you could say, all right, well, you know, everybody in column A, you can always trust them 100% of the time and everyone in column B, never trust them. And this is how you know who goes in what column. Life is way more complicated than that and there aren't columns and and there's no way to tell who should be in in any non-existent column anyway. So it is always a, a very nuanced conversation. But I feel like increasing trust and really having a focus on the outcomes that that are shared outcomes and looking for places to you know invest where there's that shared alignment of values is always helpful and then it's about you know measuring that and making sure that what you're expecting to happen really does happen it's a great thought and i think we've seen it work in other sectors we gave you know commercial space and the startup sort of space it's you know it's live and well and like you said celebrated there and i think even in the not for profit space we've seen it internally in our own cultures where we've seen this type of an approach work. And I think just sort of just echo of what you and Tracy were talking about earlier is that it's about sort of taking that externally, that same sort of giving people that that extra bit of rope to sort of say, hey, like go out there and do it. I'm still going to hold you accountable. It's not about just do whatever you want with the money. Like no one's saying that, but it is about saying to people, I want you to be creative and I'm going to help set up those right conditions to for you to be innovative and feel like you can. Like I said, very normal concept internally, but I think what it's doing is just flipping that and taking it outside of the organization to our stakeholders and our partners and saying, we want to give you that same stuff that works, but we want to give that to you as well, not just do it with our staff. I think you're right. There is so much shift that's happened internal. And one of the great challenges is this external narrative that if you're a nonprofit, you sort of have to put this backpack on of like people who maybe have misused funds before or some of the negative perceptions around it. And so that means that people are willing to take a little bit of risk, but maybe not too much risk because, you know, there's a great organization or mission that's at stake. And so it is a real tension. But I think if 
if donors can shift in their mindset, and many are, and that's good news, that'll help organizations thrive. And then I think eventually, you know, the mass public will be on board with this more and more, but it's going to take a lot of conversations and, you know, a lot of examples to get everyone on board and no longer talk about donor dysfunction or this sort of backpack that nonprofits have to wear. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Before we wrap up, was there anything else that you want to make sure we cover? I think this is an exciting space to be in. You know, I just say that, like if anyone's thinking of getting into social enterprise or nonprofit or you're already in it and maybe you're feeling totally wrecked, tired, burnt, like I'm done. I think that way more than I say it on podcasts, but like I, it's like it is hard, but actually the grass is greener where you water it and let's water the grass because this space is so important. We are all part of and get to be part of, you know, helping rethink broken systems and, you know, reimagine the world and spend our days doing that. And it isn't easy, but it is absolutely important. And so, yeah, we should keep going. I'm telling myself this and I'll keep going. <laughs> Excellent. I really do appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation with you today. I think it's so valuable and so helpful. I know that I definitely feel inspired looking at you guys. I can see that Dan's definitely looking inspired as well. And I think that there'll be a lot in this conversation that our listeners will get to to take away that will help them to be reinvigorated in, you know, achieving their mission and, you know, creating that safe space where we're taking smart risks and, and we're, you know, we're being innovative because we're allowing ourselves to take chances. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time and all the very best. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.